0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross and it is time for a preview of the 2022 ATP season in the form of my top 10 predictions. I do this every year. I revisit it at the end of every year when I do the MMA awards, the Monday Match Analysis Awards, which I did last week. And if you didn't watch that, you can check it out. And I revisit my top 10 prediction at the very beginning of that video. And here we go again. 2022 is upon us. Speaking of previous videos, another quick note. um, My latest video was an announcement where I explained my new membership program where you can hit the join button if you are uh, using iPhone or a uh, iOS, a Mac, you're going to need to use Chrome. So just want to throw that out there. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, $2 a month is what I would be so grateful for if you become a member of the channel and it's a big help if you want more information uh check out my last video um on that The season starts in in four days four or five days depending on on how you look at it and whether or not you're uh, in australia or not um the season is coming so i can't wait i always start these videos uh, by talking about how terrified I am to predict the top 10. One year is a very long time. Many things happen and I always have a fear that I am going to be utterly embarrassed at the end of the year. Uh, so far, I've done it twice in a row. I, I I've been okay. I haven't been all that embarrassed. it's it's been all right. Uh, but there's always next year I'm I guarantee you it will happen. Um, as long as I keep doing it, there will be a year where it goes terribly. So far so good let's let's try to keep it up. Um, I will say that this was an excruciating experience. The sacrifices I make on this YouTube channel are incredible. no I'm jo- I'm joking but um it was really hard and I'll, I'll let me just explain why before we get into it. the entire top 10, is 25 years old or less, except for Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. So it's 25 or under, generally an age where you get better. You don't get worse. You get better. And then there's two of the greatest players of all time. Then there are three guys outside of the top 10 who I just, in my heart of hearts, believe are going to make the top 10 at the end of next year. I believe that when the season ends, they will be in the top 10. That leaves us with 13 players. You heard me right, and you heard it here first. I guarantee you 13 players will be in the year-end top 10 at the end of 2022. I'm positive of that. Unfortunately, that is not possible. And that's what makes this so hard. There are legitimately, if you asked me before I did this exercise, before I sat down at my computer and I said, okay, let's predict the top 10. Here we go. Before I did that, there were 13 players who, if you asked me in casual conversation, I would have told you are going to be in the top 10. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, some tough decisions had to be made. And if we were on a cooking show, I would go to break right now. But um, no commercials. Let's go. Uh, let's begin with honorable mentions. Of course. I just said there are 13 guys, so I have three honorable mentions. I want to talk about three men who are not in my top 10, who I really, you know wanted to put there, but there were other guys who I felt um, needed to needed to be in there above these three. And let me begin with probably the boldest prediction there is uh, just to get it out of the way. Just to start off with the bang, honorable mention, Andre Rublev. So going into 2021, I wasn't all that high on Rublev. I kind of anticipated that he would take a sideways step. And as the year went on, I kept getting the feeling like I was actually right that Rublev was having exactly the season I thought he would, which is a good season, a top 10 pace, but just not quite a jump. And that's how I felt. And then after the year, I'm like, oh, I was right. And then no, I was wrong because Andre Rublev broke into the top five and moved up three ranking spots from number eight. And I was very confused. Well, after digging into the numbers, I now understand what happened here. Andre's win percentage was 10 percentage points lower than it was in 2020. So, indeed, he didn't really improve in 2021. The titles were less consistent. It was not as dominant a year. Yet, he moved up three ranking spots because Nadal, Team, and Federer fell off the map. So, it was really a sideways step for Rublev. He didn't get worse. I just don't think he got much better. And I thought that there were a lot of issues that were exposed in 2021, unfortunately. And yes, it was still a good year. He still finished in the top eight. He was in Turin at the end of the year. But here's some of the things that I think came up. Physically, showed vulnerability in five setters. Lost a couple of key five setters this year. Also ran out of steam at the end of the season. Overall, I think the... The overall physical endurance of Andre Rublev uh, has come into question. And that's not something that I really considered until watching him this season. His second serve is still being attacked. That's a common thread when Andre loses, is that usually it's an opponent who's just able to really take control off of the second serve return. And it's been a problem throughout his career, and it's just not getting better enough quickly enough. Players are starting to keep the ball on his backhand. Not because his backhand is bad, but just because it's not quite as damaging. And then you can get into Rublev's shot tolerance. You can physically wear him down. You can outlast him. And a lot of players are beginning to do that. He also doesn't have a backhand slice. Some players have been able to take advantage of that. Marton Fucevic at Wimbledon. And he still does not have much of a transition game. Doesn't have great volleys. So there are all of these weaknesses, I'll call them. There's also some mental stuff that came up. He competes extremely hard and that's great, but he also beats himself up on the court and that sometimes causes him to lose focus and burn extra energy. So those are all of the negatives. Of course, he's still a really, really good player. And it's not difficult to understand why he embodies sustained modern baseline aggression. He keeps his error rate extremely low while still having a very consistent high octane baseline aggression. He's still winning a ton of matches. So I just think he gets passed by a few guys this year. Um, while he continues to round out his game in multiple aspects. And that goes beyond the very simple critique that I often hear with Andre Rublev, that he needs more variety. And I felt that going into 2021, yeah, he needs more variety. And I get that. I don't dispute that. But there are way bigger issues that Andre Rublev needs to worry about. Physical stuff, mental stuff, second serve. There are too many issues, and that's why... I predict that he falls out of the top 10 by the end of 2022. Honorable mention, Dominic Thiem. Thiem is currently 15 in the world. Of course, missed most of 2021 after injuring his wrist and then experiencing a setback prior to the US Open. Injured his wrist in Mallorca early on, but he was struggling immensely even going into that match. Funny enough, he was playing pretty well. I think he was on his way to finally uh, snapping his losing streak and beating Adrian Manorino. But nonetheless, got injured. It has not been a nice recovery for him. There have been multiple setbacks. Now, I like to give great players coming off injury the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're 28 years old like Dominic Team. And I think it's important that we all remind ourselves of where Team was heading into 2021. He was on pace to become the best player in the world until he won the US Open. If you look at 2018, 2019, 2020, and the leap he made each and every year, those improvements, he was one leap away from becoming the best player in the world. Novak Djokovic, no Novak Djokovic, doesn't matter. Just one step away, in my opinion. That's how well he was playing. Instead, he hit the motivation wall well documented he was open about it just had trouble keeping the flame burning after winning that us open and clearly in 2021 wasn't in his best shape wasn't as explosive Wasn't competing as well mentally, was letting the mind wander on the court, just wasn't himself, doubting himself, and ultimately he got injured. Now he's building it back up from square one, and I'm not going to lie, the injury, in my opinion, could be a blessing in disguise because psychologically he clearly needed a reset. There's not much more I can say when it comes to Dominic Thiem because predicting how he's going to do is kind of like predicting how Roger Federer is going to do. It kind of feels like a fool's errand. Here's a guy who's completely coming off of injury, we haven't seen him play, and you know, how is the risk going to be? How's the mental going to be? Um it's really hard to say. Here's my answer though. If team doesn't ever get back to where he was in 2020, it wouldn't shock me. It's hard to get back there. He was in an incredible place with his game, a place that took him a while to get to. But if he's not a top 10 player again, that would shock me way more. I truly believe, come on now, at his age, you get there for a reason. If you do it once, you can do it again. And Dominic Team was in that elite tier. I really think he'll be a top 10 player again. I would be stunned if he's not. I really wanted to put him in here, but there are much safer picks. There were too many guys who just felt like simpler and safer bets. So somehow, Dominic Team is an honorable mention, although. As I said, 13 guys I really feel like are top tenors. Honorable mention, Hubert Hercotch. And I want to get this out of the way before I go any further. He still feels enigmatic to me. I know I've said this before, but Herkacz still kind of an enigma. Uh, I'm not really confident in my read on him or his career. That means that I'm not confident in what his ceiling is. I'm not really confident in what his floor is. He's an honorable mention for me. Here's my breakdown. Unique, refreshing game. Huge serve. Amazing movement. Great volleys. Unorthodox backhand that I think is very good. I've heard people say it's not. I think it's good. Uh, I love the way he uses the net to finish. And that's the essential part of his game because that's where the offense comes from. He's good from neutral. Pretty good from neutral. Pretty good defensively. But the offense can really suffer if he's not finishing at the net. And... Certainly, with his height and his consistency levels, it's not, you know, he really does need that offensive aspect coming from somewhere else besides his serve, especially when he plays the really good returners. I need him to improve the forehand. It's holding him back to an extent that I think is really, really difficult to overemphasize. I mean, I watch him play and I fantasize about if he just had. A better forehand and how tough he would be to beat but so far there's not that much evidence that i see that that shot is going to get a ton better and that's the wild card for me i just don't know but i just think it holds him back it's not very heavy he tries to make up for it by hitting pretty close to line sometimes it works it misses too often Uh, but if he can improve his ability to generate his own pace he'll do great right now i see it as a massive hole And ultimately, I can't see him winning a Masters again in 2022. I can't see him making a major semifinal in 2022. And his rankings points aren't as spread out as some of the others are. He just has a couple of really awesome runs this year, three titles. And I just think he's going to drop. I think he's going to fall. So in my prediction, um, I have him falling out of the top 10. But ultimately, you have a guy who's 24 years old at number nine in the world. Again, that's the kind of age where you're supposed to get better, not worse. And that's the really difficult thing about the current top 10. I didn't say this off the top, but let me put a number on this. The average age of the top 10 is the youngest since 2009. And speaking of that top 10, it is time to get into it. Here we go. Number 10. Felix Auger Aliassime did briefly make his top 10 debut in 2021. Um, the elephant in the room is I've been a massive critic at times. His point construction, his shot selection, his consistency, his second serve, his backhand. I've picked apart all of it. But here's a 21-year-old who's 11 in the world, who has already made his top 10 debut briefly. And it's really hard to not have faith in a Felix rise in 2022. Now we've seen him tread water in the past. That's what's been frustrating. And when I say tread water, I mean not get any better and not get any worse. I just don't really see that happening again. And the main reason is I have a lot of faith in his team. I have a lot of faith in his attitude and his work ethic. And players like that, tend to get better. They tend to figure it out. Not to mention, I really liked what I saw last year. He started to carry himself with some confidence on the court. He started to handle his nerves better. The win over Zverev at Wimbledon, the win over Tiafoe at the U.S. Open. Those are big, major stadium court wins that are were much needed at that point in his career. And they're really going to help him, those experiences moving forward. That is what he needed. And he finally got it. Of course, it would really help if he won a title, if he broke his streak of losses in finals. That would be another big mental, I think, weight off the shoulders. And I have to imagine that that happens in 2022. It would really help him if it happened sooner than later. Um... He's one of the best grass court players in the world. His first serve is getting really, really good. He keeps himself in fantastic shape by any standards. His forehand is so potent. And there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in his game. The things that I mentioned off the top that I've picked apart with Felix, there are so many easy kind of— not easy, it's hard to make improvements— but there are so many different things that if they just click for him, He's going to be a rocket ship. He needs to be patient when necessary. He needs to do a better job of keeping the ball in the court from neutral positions. He needs to widen his array of finishes, use the approach shot a little bit better, use the volleys, maybe add some drop shots to improve his finishing from the midcourt without making as many mistakes. If some of these things click... He is going to be a major problem for everyone. And with his age and with his team, with his attitude, I back him to do that. So I had to put FAA in my top 10 and he comes in at number 10. At number nine is the Norwegian sensation, Kasparut. 2021 was an amazing year. He was definitely a candidate for most improved player. Gotta love that. Uh, Made improvements on his serve. Really good technical adjustments. I thought that was the number one factor in his rise and especially his improved results on the quicker surfaces. And to my eyes, he got a lot quicker around the court. Much more explosive and athletic and really kind of um, grew into his body. Now I feel like he's a man. He's not a boy out there anymore. His forehand is very, very, very special. It has been for a long time. It's the kind of weapon that makes it hard for me to leave him out of the top 10. One of the main things that has held him back are his nerves. He needs to do better at majors. He gets very timid and tight sometimes. And I'm already starting to see that getting better as he matures, but that's the main thing that worries me. Um let me give you a stat. He's 37 and 3 in his last 40 matches against players ranked outside the top 20. That is like big three-level consistency of beating players outside the top 20. His three losses, all at majors. He lost to Davidovich Fokina at Roland Garros. He lost to Jordan Thompson at Wimbledon. And he lost to Botik van de at the U.S. Open. 47-3. And all three losses are at majors? Are you kidding me? Uh, That's got to get better, and it will. Stuff like that does not really tend to continue. Think Simona Halep, um, who struggled at majors for a bit. Think Alexander Zverev, who struggled at majors for a bit. That stuff just never really lasts. It always goes away. Again, it's another guy who I think has an amazing team around him. I think has an amazing attitude extremely professional that gives me confidence in his development Uh, there's work to be done technically as well his backhand return is an issue his backhand defense is an issue his overall pace absorption is an issue but these are all fast court problems none of them are issues on clay And he will continue to be a monster on that surface. Really encouraged by what I saw from Rude in 2021. And I think 2022, he can make yet another leap, which means he comes in at number nine. At number eight comes a man who I perfectly predicted would finish 2021 at number 10 in the world. Yannick Sinner this year, I say he makes a slight leap to number eight. And the trajectory is simply unmistakable here. Sinner continues to get stronger. He's just recently become someone who I believe is physically ready for the top 10. That took a little while, and that's what mostly held him back. The natural ball striking was always there from the time he really got on tour. Um, There's been a lot of talk about his serve and how that needs to improve. I've been encouraged. By the improvement of his serve in 2021, he's made some mid-season technical adjustments. I I do think that there are some physical things with his serve that might hold him back. I don't know if he has the most explosive shoulder and, you know, the livest arm. Uh, and even the legs, I think they're still—even though they're strong and, and he's getting pretty quick, still maybe lacks a little bit of that lower body explosion. I don't think he'll have a huge serve, but— uh, it continues to get better, and obviously, if he develops as a spot server, which I believe he will, um, he's in good shape. The serve is going to continue to get better. The volleys got a lot better in 2021. That was also encouraging, and he needs those things to become the offensive juggernaut that I believe that he can and will become. I'm also high on his development mentally um, towards the end of the season. I think that he was learning how to get a crowd on his side. He was learning how to use emotion to his advantage um, to show his opponent some some positivity, to show himself some positivity. That was really, really nice to see. Now, some people would probably suggest that Sinner will make a larger leap next season. And I just not... I just don't predict that Sinner will jump into the elite tier in 2022. He needs to do one of two things. He needs to either show more defense and shot tolerance, just become a little bit tougher back there, someone who's going to be able to do some better grinding, either that, or he needs to make a much bigger uh, improvement than he— a more accelerated improvement than so far he has with the serving. If he doesn't serve— Really big, and he's not improving or showing, you know, enough defense or shot tolerance. I guess I'm saying if he doesn't enter the elite tier in one of those areas, I have him seeing. I have trouble seeing him entering the elite tier in general. So, Yannick Sinner, number eight, coming in at number seven is a man whose trajectory, similar to Yannick Sinner, simply speaks for itself. He moved up 109 spots in 2021, and I think he'll break into the top 10 in 2022. It is Carlos Alcaraz. He recently said that his goal is to make the top 15 in 2022, but I think he's being slightly modest. And look, maybe we're still in a honeymoon phase with Alcaraz. And as he spends more time on tour, I'm going to start to see some, some issues, some, some holes, some areas of his game where, where he clearly is, is sub-elite. Besides for maybe one thing, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but right now, I just feel like this man is a well-rounded machine. Physically ready for the top 10. Great focus, great effort. Ground game is polished. That includes the return, which is a shot that takes a lot of young players a lot of time usually to get up to a level where where uh, they can compete. One of the main things I look for in a young player is can they be elite both offensively and defensively? And Alcaraz has that. His ground strokes are unbelievably fast, unbelievably heavy. Um Yet he also moves probably as well as as anyone right now. I mean, I think he's got Alex Demonor-like speed and Novak Djokovic-like balance. And look, I don't want to overhype the kid uh, because he's not there yet. He's not consistent enough. Uh, The serve is the main thing that lags behind. Uh, He needs to get more help from it. But I think he's got a live arm. Uh, The miles per hour is... Pretty good. It's just he can't hit a spot. His ball toss is bad. He's obviously not not able to hit the ball in the right spot often enough. So that needs to get better. It generally does. One thing to consider because you know it might. I don't know if this is going to be seen as a bold prediction or not. Or not. I really don't know. But um, the analytics do back me up. ELO, Tennis Abstract, Jeff uh, Jeff Sackman. ELO is a formula that takes recent results into account much more than the ranking system because the reality is 52 weeks is a very long time and doesn't really reflect the current state of things, right? Carlos Alcaraz in January of 2021 was just not who he is today. ELO reflects... um, more recent results, and it tends to be much more predictive of the rise of young players as a result. Right now, Carlos Alcaraz is seventh in the ELO ratings, and when I saw that, it it's not how I what I based my prediction off of by any means, but it did confirm that maybe I'm not off my rocker here, and Carlos Alcaraz is just an incredible generational talent who will At the age of, what will he be? Oh yes, he turns 19 during Madrid. If the calendar aligns again, it'll be Madrid. So let's see, will he do it as a, yeah, he'll probably do it as a 19-year-old. I predict he will break into the top 10. Coming in at number six in the world is Matteo Berrettini. I've been on the record, and I stand by this. I don't see Berrettini as an elite contender. I throw the word elite around all the time. Let me be clear on what I mean. Elite players, there's generally, and this changes, sometimes there's, I would say, at minimum two um, to five elite players at all times. It's the players who are going to win the biggest titles in the world. Um, Obviously, it can change. WTA, you gotta say there are more elite players. Uh, But on the ATP Tour, it's just it's basically players who I think can win majors uh, now, right now. Um, I don't really see Matteo as that guy. I see him more as a top 10 gatekeeper or or maybe even a more of a top 5 gatekeeper. Think Milos Raonic, think Joe Wilfred Sanga. That's who I see Matteo Berrettini as. And the reason for that is I think there are limitations in his game that are very unlikely to develop further. Mainly the movement the return, and the backhand. But he's got a top five serve in the world. He's got a top five forehand in the world. He's got a very, very good mental. That's going to get you places. You have those three things. I don't want to hear it. Forget about the rest. You're basically a top 10 player. And that's what Berrettini is. He's also very, very clutch, going back to that mental. He's got that... He's a really good match player. That really helps him out a lot. And he's been great. If you look at what he did in 2021, he was injured twice. He hurt his abs in Australia. Then he hurt his thigh either during or after Wimbledon. I'm a little bit unclear on when exactly that happened. Two injuries, two pretty bad injuries, still finished seventh in the race. So there's an argument to be made that if he just stayed healthy and if he avoided drawing Novak Djokovic at the majors, who he lost to at the final three majors of the year, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, that wasn't a bad draw. They met in the final and U.S. Open. Um, He could have had a better year. He could have had a bigger year. And that's kind of what I'm predicting will happen in 2022. Nothing crazy. No massive leap, Barrettini starts to, you know, do crazy things. No, I don't really see that happening, Uh, but he got a little bit unlucky in 2021, and I just think the luck will kind of go his way, and he'll make a little bit of a jump in the rankings by the end of it. With that being said, he has been injured a lot in his career. That injury proneness is something that probably should be accounted for, not discounted, and Again, I just don't see him as a major challenge for the top guns. Still, out of all these guys, outside of the top four, I see him as the surest bet when healthy to play at a top 10 level. His game is pretty foolproof against 80 to 90% of opponents. He's always confident. He doesn't overthink on the court. And... He's just more hes more of a solid sure bet than all the guys under him. So Matteo Berrettini, six in the world. At number five in the world, the man who needs no introduction, Rafael Nadal. Look, 2021 was a bit of a wash for him. He didn't play a lot of matches. In fact, he played the fewest matches in a season since 2003. It was that bad a season when it comes to his health. The year began with a back injury. And it ended with a foot injury. Missed Wimbledon, missed the U.S. Open, Olympics, etc. Still, when he played, and granted, most of his season was clay court season, his win percentage was pretty stellar. 82% still, that's a win percentage of a top five player, an elite player. Now, if you were watching... And not just looking at the win-loss column, you know that he had to scrap and claw his way to victory earlier in clay events than we're used to seeing. A couple of matches, uh, Shapovalov in Rome, which he ended up winning, um, you know, tough match against Rublev, which he ended up losing in Monte Carlo. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really a signature clay court season, um, but it was still a very, very good clay court season. By all accounts. Um, The fact remains. He's one of the best baseliners in the game. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But I do think that players are starting to catch up to him. From that perspective. I think it's happening to Novak too. Zverev, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas. Mostly them. Uh, They are beginning to physically and technically catch up. When it comes to baseline prowess. And I'm starting to become concerned about Rafa falling behind because of the serve. 2021 was a bad serving year for Nadal when he was on the court, and he needs that to be better. It was the highest double fault rate of his career. His ace rate after having a career high ace rate in 2019, 6.8%, second highest of his career in 2020, 6.2%. Last year, it was back down to 5%, and that could be because most of his matches were on clay, and that messed up the data. But he's got to show that now, uh, because to my eyes, his serve regressed, and his serve needs to be going the other direction, just like Novak Djokovic's has, or he's going to have problems, in my opinion. It needs to go the other way, because he can't dominate Medvedev, Zverev, and Djokovic, and Tsitsipas even, badly enough from the baseline, that he's going to make up for the current serving deficit that currently exists. Now, another reason for concern is the field of clay court threats is now deeper than er- ever. Djokovic as always, but really Tsitsipas and Rude, and then we'll see about Dominic Team and how healthy he is. Uh, I feel like there are an increasing number of players who really hang their hat on clay court ability. And that wasn't always true. Something to watch out for. But I know these challenges are all going to motivate Rafa. And I think this could be a tough year by his standards. But he's still Rafa. And I'll feel like an absolute idiot if I sell him too short. So I see him finishing at five in the world. Healthy year. And I'm pretty confident that he's going to be in the mix. We have entered the top four now. And what I want to say about this group is, while it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Rafa Nadal comes back and enters this group, as we stand right now, these guys are pretty solid. They're pretty solid in place as the best players, and week in, week out, all of them were somewhat consistent, and it starts to get pretty straightforward here. It really does. Stefano Tsitsipas. He's number four. He was the second best player in the world uh, for the first half of the season. And after that, what really kind of turned or swung things was the French Open final when he lost to Novak Djokovic. Then he had the tragedy with his grandma, showed up at Wimbledon, wasn't prepared, couldn't get healthy after that. Foot injury, elbow injury. I throw it out all the window. That wasn't English. I throw it all out the window. Uh, Everything that happened in the second half, I don't think that was the real Stefano Sitsipas. I think the real Stefano Sitsipas was the one that we saw in the first half of the season, where he had come into his own athletically. He was a a clay court beast by, by every single metric. Elite forehand, well above average serve, the best transition game out of maybe anyone right now. A really good ability to transition from defense to offense, especially on clay. Um, A really good package. With that being said, I'm a little bit discouraged by some of his technical weaknesses. Just not getting much better. The return. The return has been an issue for three years, really. And I think he knows that. And I think he's trying. The progress just hasn't been great trying to figure out how to shorten up his swing, trying to figure out how to maybe block the return. It just feels like he can't commit to a strategy here. It seems like he can't find anything that works, and it's probably becoming pretty frustrating. He needs to figure out the return, especially on the backhand. Uh, The backhand slice, something that is a shot that I don't really think you need unless you have a one-handed backhand. Then you kind of need it. I think you kind of need it. Like Daniil Medvedev can defend on his backhand with two hands. Pretty much whenever he wants. Just amazing at that. Um, he also handles low contact point pretty well. Tsitsipas can do that as well. But um, And also when the ball comes quick, when he's stripped of time, Medvedev, not really a problem. So you might say, Gil, Medvedev doesn't have a slice. Why don't you pick on him about that? Because Medvedev doesn't need it. Tsitsipas needs it. He really, because the defense, it's not stable without the slice. Um, The return, it's not stable without the slice. Um, And when he doesn't have enough time, he needs the slice. He needs it to help him out. And it's really bad. Just look at the match point against Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open that's a terrible shot. Uh, I, I hate to pick out one point. I'm just saying that as an example, if you want to see the very shot I'm talking about, it's Pass on the run defending. He needs the slice there. It's going to be hard to hit over the ball. He doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the balance. So most one-handers go to the slice there. And it just pops up and Alcaraz hits a forehand winner. That, just as an example, that's the shot I'm talking about. So that's been frustrating. And as a result... On fast courts, I think all three players above him have a distinct advantage. And let's face it about the calendar, uh, clay court season is shorter than hard court season. He's number four for me. Titi at number four. At number three is Alexander Zverev, a big 2021 20, for the German. Got the second serve under control, but in my opinion, the main reason for his breakthrough was the aggressive forehand, the ability to flatten it out the ability to take it down the line, the ability to go after it even in tight moments, even under pressure, that was the main difference in my opinion. I don't know why it took so long. I know that there have been off-the-court issues for Zverev, and I think a big reason for Zverev's improvement uh, last season was also that those issues started to dissipate. Now, yes, he is currently under investigation by the ATP because of the um assault allegations brought forward by his ex-girlfriend Olga uh Sharipova. But there are some things that actually have gone away. Uh, he settled in court with his agent in 2020 and he stopped trying to bring in new coaches from Juan Carlos Ferrero to Ivan Lendl to David Ferrer. These relationships, the Ferrer relationship was seemed like David stepping away, but uh, the other two, it seemed like those were just toxic relationships. They just didn't work, and they they set Zverev back instead of moving him forward, and he's now stopped trying to bring new people in. He's content with his father and Michael uh, Ladowskic, and that seems to be working for him. There's less turbulence, and Zverev is in a good place with his team. Now for the negative. There are demons. There are mental demons um, that need to be conquered. He does not have a signature win at a major. That is to say that he doesn't have a top 10 win at a major. He has negative records against the players that he really needs to be beating. The players around him in this top 10 prediction. Tsitsipas, uh, Medvedev, Djokovic. Um, He doesn't beat them consistently enough. He does beat them sometimes, uh, but just not quite enough and never at majors thus far in his career. There are moments where the confidence goes away. And look, there have been, in the last six months, those moments have been few and far between. So that's great for him. I need to see probably a little bit longer before I can be confident that Zverev is the kind of player who is going to show up in a major final and bring his A game, and when it counts, he's going to be able to close, and he's going to be able to play his best. I'm just—I'm not quite there yet, but I am getting there. I I really am. And I came into 2021 thinking his forehand's been an issue for three, four years. His second serve's been an issue for three years. What the heck here? I mean— this is a joke. He's not getting any better. And in 2021, from a technical perspective, I really do think that he has figured it out. From a technical standpoint, um, and he'd still double faults a lot, by the way. I do want to throw that out there. Um, Just he's managing it pretty well, besides Wimbledon. um, From a technical standpoint, he's there. I mean, he is top three material, and I don't think he's going anywhere. So top three, boom. But some mental question marks for me still remain. All right, top two. I think you know which two players are the top two players in the world right now. And at number two is Novak Djokovic. Ever since, ever since 20, uh, 2018, the second half of 2018, Novak has been sensational. Historically speaking, It's really hard to not experience a dip, at least a little bit. It's a very long time, and I think that dip is probably coming. Careers generally aren't linear. There are highs, there are lows, there are ups, and there are downs. For the great players, those ups and downs are a little bit less severe, and for Novak, I'm only predicting that he loses his number one ranking spot, not the end of the world. Uh, But I just see this pattern a lot. I mean, it happened with Novak himself. 2011 to 2016, he was pretty untouchable. Then he fell off. Uh, Pete Sampras, 1993 to 1998, famously six year end number ones in a row. What happened in 99, he was beat. He was exhausted. He didn't travel to Australia. Then he won Wimbledon, and then he got hurt at the end of the year. It was a tough 1999 season for uh, for Pete. I could see that kind of thing happening. 2021 was an incredible push, and I know what you're thinking. Major still 2020, uh, still the favorite going into Australia. Uh, but it's hard to do what he did in 2021 again. And mathematically, given the number of tournaments Novak played— Medvedev was right up against him. Despite the incredible year that Djokovic had, Medvedev was still so good that he was putting some pressure on Novak when it comes to world number one um, at the end of the year. But here's my main question for Djokovic heading into the season. Motivation. I don't think enough people are talking about this. I get a lot of people casually saying, oh, is Novak going to get Novak's not slowing down. So is he going to get to 26? Is he going to get to 28? Is he going to get, you know, throwing out these numbers? Here's the X factor. I'm not going to give you a prediction here of how many majors Novak's going to win when he calls it quits. I never do that. I didn't do that. F- I don't do that for Nadal or Federer. I'm not doing that for Novak. But I will say this. Here's the X factor. Motivation. If Novak distances, distances himself from Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, let's say he's up to let's say one of them retires or one of them falls off a little bit, two of them fall off, whatever it may be. To keep the fire burning, that's not going to be that easy. So I could totally see him winning Australia and experiencing a bit of a motivational dip. We have seen so many players struggle with that. So many players grapple with that. Um, And people shouldn't take for granted how hard it's going to be for him to maintain the intensity day in and day out if that happens. With all that said, we saw incredible skill building from Novak in 2021. Serve, volley, drop shot, slice, forehand, all improved. And most importantly, the man still moves like he's 23 years old. So even if there are small dips, bumps in the road, motivational issues for Novak, I think that can happen. Um, Even if all that happens... He's coming from such a high point that I think he could have what could feel like a down year. And he's still my number two player in the world in this top 10 prediction. And coming in at number one, no, it is not Bernard Tomic. It is Daniil Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev, number one in the world. It would be his first time. Uh, There are a couple of reasons for this. I I feel like there's less to say about Medvedev than perhaps anyone else here, I do think the clay results are going to get better. I think that was all mental this year, and I would like to see him get a little bit more mature in the mental aspect, but I feel like his his genius is kind of also his, his downfall. You know, uh, the fact that he's so freaking crazy sometimes kind of makes him who he is, but it would nice it would be nice to see him get a little bit more professional and mature at times. I do think the clay results are going to get better. There's a lot of points for him to gain there. Most of Medvedev's losses this year could actually be fixed if he was able to take his return early. So that's terrifying. That's another that's one area that I can pick out. Uh the loss in Paris against Novak just in general playing Novak it might help for him to, to work on his return position. Um, and by the way, that's not to say that he needs to change his general return position. That's just to say that in some matchups, in some situations, he needs to have an alternate return position. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so that's one area for improvement that I see. Um, Hercotch at Wimbledon is another loss that I think could have been avoided if he had the ability to take his return early. Um, but other than that, look, there's a lot of factors here. He has a mental edge over all of his similar age rivals. He potentially has the best serve return combination of all time. He is the best moving player over 6 foot 5 of all time for sure. And when it comes to his ground game, he has Murray, Djokovic, Nadal level consistency when it comes to avoiding the unforced errors. And he's got a top five serve in the sport. I mean, it is it is a skill set to behold. And in 2021, I felt that a lot of his weaknesses, the things that people did to beat him, slice, backhand slice, uh, come to net a ton, a lot of those things he started to handle better. His passing shot, his passing shots improved. His low backhand got better. Um, his forehand has become marginally better. There's, it's still not the best when it comes to just generating pace, but uh, it, that's become better as well. Just these micro-adjustments where he's learning how to beat people who are doing certain things to him. Uh, I think it's Medvedev's time in 2022, and there you have it. He is my... World number one prediction. That does it. All right, of course, let me know what you think in the comment section. What's your top 10? Again, I think this is so tough. Uh, 13 guys who I I really think should be in there. Everyone in the top 10, 25 or or under. uh, Upward trajectory, except for for Djokovic and Nadal. You have Carlos Alcaraz, who's clearly a rocket ship. Uh, Felix at 11. Dominic team exists. What a year it's going to be. What a year it is going to be. Uh, next video will be a mailbag. I plan to do that on Thursday. That is right, Thursday. So make sure you keep tabs on the YouTube community tab where I will post, you can comment, and I will answer your preseason questions on Thursday. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.